sorrow and dead in my sin lost without hope no place to begin your love made a way to let mercy come in when death was arrested and my life began ash was redeemed only beauty remained and my orphan heart was given a name My morning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance When death was arrested and my life began Oh, your grace so free washes I'm a prisoner no more My shame was a ransom He faithfully bore And he Darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Come on, just praise Him this morning. It's not over. No, it wasn't over. But then Jesus rose with
sacrifice God you are our living hope
For I deliver to you as of the utmost importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according with the, in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Today we proclaim that Jesus came, that he lived, that he died, and then he rose again, just as the scripture said. And you know what I love about God? He didn't just die to forgive us of sin. We didn't deserve anything he gave us. But he's such a good God. He didn't want to just stop with forgiveness. He wanted us to be his sons and daughters. And he didn't want to stop there. He wanted us to live forever. And he didn't want to stop there. He just keeps giving good things to his kids, to those who ask. And today we are, I am happy to have a God who is good, that he's not just some fairy in the sky that gives me everything I ask, but he knows exactly what I have need of. He knows exactly what you have need of, and that's what he will give to you. I want to read Matthew 7 quickly, just a few verses. Verse 9 through 11. Which one of you, if the son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask of him? Today, my wife has a praise report. Today, we declare the good things that God is doing, that he hasn't stopped. You know, if you go, you go on YouTube and you search news, every headline is, is negativity. And it sells, sells, sells. Today, we declare goodness. We declare mercy. We declare God who is good. All negative things are of the, of the enemy, and they are not of God. Seven-month-old Juliet is profoundly deaf in both ears and has abnormal ear anatomy. We've been on a journey since March when this was confirmed, but we recently were referred to a specialist who specifically deals with children with abnormal ear anatomies about potentially getting a cochlear for her left ear. During one of the hearing tests, we learned that Juliet still had fluid on her left ear. When we mentioned this had been there since birth, the doctor was concerned that this was spinal fluid leaking in due to her ear abnormalities. This was serious and needed addressed soon as this could lead to meningitis and serious health issues. On Thursday, we went in to see if Juliet had fluid on either ear and if so, were prepared, were prepared to put a tube in or get scheduled to fix the spinal fluid leak. The doctor warned us again that he was thinking it was going to be spinal fluid instead of normal ear fluid babies get because of her ear abnormalities. When the doctor came in the room, we both thought it was going to be a lot of fluid by the way he walked in. However, our God is big. Instead, he told us he cannot find fluid on either ear and that the fluid that had been there since birth was gone. Praise the Lord. We praise God for his goodness. Church, lift up the name of Jesus. We declare you're a good God, that you're still working and moving on your people's behalf because of the cross of Jesus Christ. By your stripes, God, we are healed. We give you praise. We want to hear your story. We want to hear your praise report. So please, if you would, if you would.
you'll fill out one of these praise report cards that you see right here in the seat back in front of you. If you have a praise report or if you want to submit them online via our church app, submit them there. Today is an awesome day also that we get to add new members officially to the Palace of Praise family. What a great day it is. They're coming. I thought they were behind me. Sorry. Like a weirdo. I want to remind you. No, nobody's joining the church today. We're going to do membership anyway. I want to remind you to continue to worship God through your giving and tithes and offering. And our tithe box is in the back or you can continue to give online. Since you're up here, you be sure you say the declaration with me this morning. Here we go. Let's say these words together. Let's declare the word of the Lord over this place this morning. Lord, today by faith, we declare that we are walking in the manifestation season. As your faithful remnant, we will house your very presence. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and he has delivered us from all of our troubles and fears. We are no longer victims, but we are victors in Christ. We will not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, but we will give health, healing, and wholeness to the hopeless and those in despair. We will live under your anointing and see the revealed purpose of Christ in each of our lives, and we declare your everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, today we celebrate that you are good, that you're not some fairy in the sky, but you know exactly what we have need of, and you will give us those things we have need of. Lord, you go above and beyond, Lord Jesus. You could have stopped with just forgiveness, but you wanted more. You wanted relationship forever, and we thank you for that today. I pray people's faith would be stirred this morning to believe and to trust and then we would set our focus on you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Today is Connect Track Graduation and Membership Day. It's one of my favorite days at the palace. I say it every single time, and I mean it every single time. I love getting to introduce new family members to the family. One of our goals here at the palace is to create a clear path for people who come through our doors, who are interested in getting to know us as a family, getting connected, and possibly becoming an official member of our family. And Connect Track is that path. Connect Track is a seven-week series that we do three times a year. We offer a track on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and a Wednesday night track at 6 p.m. And the track will include lunch with the pastors and the staff, teaching on our basic beliefs. You learn about the history of our church. You get a tour of the building. You get information about ministries that you could participate in and opportunities where you could serve here at the palace. And you also get an opportunity to shadow someone in a ministry that you might be interested in. The mission of Connect Track is to ensure that the decision to become a member of our family is an informed decision. We want to make sure that every member knows who we are, what we believe, and why we believe it. Connect Track is a requirement to become a member of the Palace of Praise and to be a leader or a teacher. Our next track will begin September the 11th, and the sign-ups will begin in August if you are interested. Or you can email melody at palaceofpraise.com. And so today, by completing Connect Track, along with confessing that they have given their hearts to Jesus and made him Lord of their lives, these people are here to officially become members of our family. And so... 
And so to you, I say, you are no longer strangers, no longer outsiders. You belong. God is building a home, and he is using us all, regardless of the path that brought us here. He's fitting us together, brick by brick, stone by stone, with Jesus as the cornerstone that holds us together. We see it taking shape day by day, a home built by God for God and his family. And today, welcome home. This is where you belong. Yes. And we welcome you into our beautiful, ever-growing family. And now Sherry Aiki will come. Sherry is our Connect Track assistant. And Sherry actually completed Connect Track and became a member not not so long ago. But this morning I thought I don't I don't know what I did before Sherry showed up. But I'm thankful she showed up when she did because I needed Sherry. And what a blessing she has been. She is a, a highly functioning member of this body since she got here. And we're so grateful. So as I call your name, step forward and receive your certificates. Denarius Moore. Tyler Davis. Paige Davis. Katira Moore. Mincy Roller. Tanya Miller. Jessica Wallace and George Wallace. And at this time, Pastor will come and lead the membership ceremony. Wow, and this, come on, give them another hand clap. Hallelujah. You know why you need to give them a hand clap? It's because they got to know some of you and they still want to join anyway. Amen. Isn't that a marvelous thing? You know, one thing I, you find out when you're born, you don't always get to pick your family, but they got to pick us, and they chose us anyway. And I'm thankful for that, amen? Well, it's a great joy to see all of y'all up here joining the church today, and it always just overwhelms my heart. I, I can remember when our church wasn't this big, just there's several of you here today, and there's some that was already wanting to join with through the Connect class but couldn't even be here, so the crowd was just a little bit even bigger, and I'm always amazed at the goodness of God, and we want to be the best pastor, best congregation that we can be to you, and we know that you want to be the best member that you can be to us, so our hearts are the same. We're united together. Through thick and thin, through good and bad, we're going to be together as a family. We're going to support one another. We're going to love one another, encourage one another. We're not here to wound one another. If there's any wounds ever happen at the palace, I promise you it is strictly by accident. And so, therefore, we want you to know our love for you, and we already know your love for us, or you wouldn't be standing up here. So we're going to go through the ceremony. Do you realize in presenting yourself for membership that you're assuming a solemn obligation 
and it is expected that you will always be true to your promise and faithfully fulfill and discharge your obligation as a loyal member. Do you publicly confess and testify that you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and the full pardon of your sins? If, to, if the answer is yes, please say yes to both of those. And are you willing to walk in the light of the Scripture as it shines upon your path? And are you willing to abide by and subscribe to the discipline of the Church of God as outlined in the Scripture and in the minutes set by the International General Assembly? If so, answer, I am. Are you willing to support the church with your attendance and your temporal means to the best of your ability if, as the Lord prospers you? If, and so, if so, answer, I do. And do you agree to be subject to the counsel and the admonition of those over you in the Lord? If, if that is true, say, I do. Then I take great delight in welcoming you into the Palace of Praise family to the Church of God. We love you. I'm going to have our associate pastor, uh, Brother Randy West, to come, and he's going to pray over you. Then we're going to give you the right hand of fellowship. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we rejoice today over this ordained day, Father. Father, we believe that every member that is added to our family has been sent by your divine plan and for your purpose, God. As you continue to add to our family, God, you continue to strengthen us, God, to be that which you've called us to be in these last days. You have a plan and a purpose for this body. And God, we thank you, Lord, and we ask you that you continue to lead and guide us and direct us in the paths of righteousness and to go forward for the kingdom of God. And we give you praise and glory and honor. In Christ's name, amen. stand with us one more time. Come on, give them one more hand before Pastor comes.
Jesus is alive this morning. And I'm also thankful that this word, this Bible, is alive. And it's going to speak to you this morning. I ask you to just remain standing just a little longer as we go to Pastor's text this morning. From Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 1 through 5, Habakkuk. The word of the Lord this morning, Habakkuk 1. The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. O Lord, how long shall I cry? And thou wilt not hear. Even cry out unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save. Why dost thou shew me iniquity, and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me. And there are that raised up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slacked, and the judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous, therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. Behold ye among the heathen, and regard and wonder marvelously. For I will work a work in your days, which ye will not believe, though it be told to you. Lord, we thank you this morning for hope, for the name of Jesus, that you are alive and well and moving. And I'm thankful for this word that it speaks this morning, just as loud as when it was written, just as relevant as when it was written, and that your word is alive. We set our focus on you this morning, O oh God, and give you praise. Amen. into the world that someone can say well he is consigned to hell he's consigned to be lost but thank God all men can be saved can you say hallelujah no one that ever comes to him will ever be turned away they came to him in darkness and left him in light they came to him in slavery and left him in sonship they came to him in bondage and left him in freedom they came to him leprous but they left him cleansed they came him in the powers of iniquity and left him in the powers of righteousness and holiness. They came to him with all of their burdens, but they left him with blessings. They came to him with cares, but they left him with the comfort. They came to him or were brought to him dead, but they left him alive. Hallelujah. Death cannot stand in the presence of Jesus Christ. He never attended a funeral. Every funeral he ever went to, he made a resurrection out of it. Hallelujah. Because he said, I am the resurrection and the life. And he that believeth on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. He is life. Regardless of what it might be, he brings life to human hearts. I'm just giving you a little bit of heritage because of this uh, series that we're in and then some of my favorite preachers, them are the ones I grew up under, them are the ones I'd go and admire and listen to and they'd pour into me and talk to me and encourage me as a young believer and there's, they're, my, they're the ones that discipled me and they're the ones that trained me and developed me and I thank God for my heritage in the church of God. Can I have an amen? 
But we're still on our series on soul winning and evangelism. And actually, we're going to do one more sermon. It'll be next week, and we'll close out that series. Uh, I've hoped you've enjoyed it, and we're going to really hope that we stay on course just because we heard a series and we get a little bit active in it. We don't want to fall away from it. Next week, I'm going to be doing an illustrated sermon. I tried to do it this week, and I couldn't get all my stuff together. It's kind of a weird sermon out of my culture, but you, you want to be here next Sunday, and it'll, be a, it'll either be a great success or a big flop. I don't know which one it's going to be, but if there's a flop, there'll be a fish involved, amen, because we're fishing for men. Hallelujah. But we hope that you come out next week. But winning souls is essentially the process of evangelism, of witnessing. And in, in, de in defining evangelism is simply this, communicating the message of salvation to unbelievers and or to sinners. It is simply taking and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world and to the lost people of our, our nation. This, the real marks of a Christian is found in his eagerness and his desire and his passion to win souls. As a matter of fact, it has even been said by many orators that they said, if you don't have a desire to win a soul, then you're really not saved. Because if you've been pulled out of the fire, that's how much more you want somebody else pulled out of the fire. How many has been saved in this place? Born again, I mean brought out of your bondage and your sin and your enslavement. Then you know how important salvation is. The whole reason Jesus came is summed up in one verse of scripture. It is found in the Luke 19 and 10. The Son of Man came not but to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why he came. In Luke chapter 5 verse 31 and 32, Jesus said it himself. He said, they that are holy, not a physician, but they that are sick. He said, I didn't come to call the righteous, but I come to call the sinner to repentance. And then the most important fact of it all is what Brother Hughes was talking about, and it is found in 2 Peter 3 and 9 that God is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but God is long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any of us should perish, but that all of us should come to repentance. And the truth of the matter is, and the fact of it is, is God wants all people to be saved. This Calvinist approach that says, uh, well, you're either you're either uh, uh, condemned to hell or to heaven. Uh, you're predestined. I want to tell you, we're all predestined to become the children of God. We just got a choice of whether or not we want to be. The, the call of salvation, my friend, is to whosoever will. It's to the world. It's a universal call. You do not have to go to hell. You are not predestined to go to hell. You are not predestined to be lost. God's desire, God's will, God has done everything that he can and he's going to continually do everything that he can to get you to heaven by the grace of his son, Jesus Christ. Give the Lord praise for salvation. Amen. Hallelujah. This was the whole reason that Jesus came in the first place. He came to save men from their sin. Not a few men, not a selected man, not a chosen man, but he came to save every man. He came to save every person. He died for Bill Marvin. He died for Kent Miller, but he also died for Terry Lawrence, and he also died, and I could keep going on and on and on. He has died for all of us, not just some of us. And this is the reason that he gave the command and the call of the Great Commission to the church. And 
as before he left. Uh, he commanded us, all of us as believers, to go into the highways and the by and compel, convince, beg, plead, do whatever we got to do to have people to come into the faith. As a matter of fact, the Great Commission is, he said, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the world. That God promised us if we would go out, he would be with us. He has promised to, to empower us. Don't be afraid to try to share your faith, because God has promised he would be there with you, and that he would empower you to help you in your evangelism efforts. This was the last command that Jesus gave to his disciples before his departure. Sharing our faith, folks, listen to this now, sharing our faith isn't just a suggestion, it's a command. It's a command just like thou shalt not fill in the blank. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not lose, use the Lord thy God's name in vain. As important as those scriptures are and as important as those commands are that we take very serious, why don't we take this command just as serious? Jesus gave this body, you and I, the church, a command. And that commandment is he tells us to go out and fulfill the great commission. That is our job. A lot of us would dare not steal, dare not use God's name in vain, but we think nothing of being slothful when it comes about the business of the Father. And somehow we justify that. I don't know how we get by with it, but I want to tell you something. It is a most of a serious nature that the church reflect who Jesus is by us and who we are in him by our efforts to win people to Jesus Christ. Jesus has entrusted the harvest to the church, the body of Christ, and he expects us to finish what he, our Savior, initiated. How many knows that Jesus is the author of our salvation? He's the one that started this thing in the first place. Can I have an amen? Now, wouldn't it be a shame if we do not follow and we begin to fulfill what he started? Wouldn't it be awful if he died in vain because he wouldn't have an active body that would share the faith? He left us here on earth to be his existing body and to do what he started out to do. We're to do what he has called us to do. Can I have a, wouldn't it be a shame if we didn't do the work that he has, he started out and initiated? A true disciple will not only heed the words of his master, but he also have the heart of his master. If Jesus is really your master, if he's really your Lord, he'll have your heart. Can I have an amen? And let me tell you something. He will not just, uh, the, the true man of God will not just be indoctrinated, but he will be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. His heart will be touched. His emotions will be touched. His soul will be, everything about him is transformed and renewed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That excites me. Everywhere I go, I share my faith. Everywhere I go, here lately I've been a burning witness. I, I, I'm just enjoying it. There's times I think, Lord, I wish I wasn't a pastor. If I wasn't a pastor, I'd just get out and I'd just have more time to win souls. And, and we got to get to the place that soul winning is our number one priority. We see 
that the Apostle Paul understood the mission of the church when he said in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all exception that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm chief. In other words, he said, I want to tell you, I know what Jesus' main mission was is what Paul said. He came to the world to save sinners. How do I know? Because he saved me. I was the chiefest of sinners. He blinded me on the road to Damascus. He performed a divine miracle. He pulled me out of the shadows and the depth of the rock gut religion that I was trapped in and enslaved in and was deceived by. But it was on that day that he blinded me to the things of the world and he opened my eyes to the things of the spirit and he knocked me off my horse and he sent me to a man by the name of Ananias who laid his hands on me and my eyes were open to the saving knowledge of who the true son of God is. It's Jesus Christ. Can I have an amen? Then look how Paul followed suit and made that foundational within his ministry. He said in 1 Corinthians, oh, I'm about to preach. I'm about to get happy. 1 Corinthians, oh, I think I will get happy. How many is happy about salvation? Oh, you're saved. Hallelujah. Uh-huh. I know what it's like to be out in that sin and the, have the, be in the grips of enslavement. But Paul made the, this, this thing a foundational part of his ministry. He said in 1 Corinthians 2 and 2, For I am determined to not know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the main message. That's the main theme. That is what we got to get out. This was the central theme and the foundation of his ministry and the focus of his message. As a matter of fact, Paul even stated in 1 Corinthians, 1 verse 17 and 18 he said for Christ sent me not to baptize but to preach the gospel not with wisdoms of words lest the cross of Christ become none effect he said for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness but to us that are saved it is the power of God and listen to what he said he said I want to tell you some of you are so wrapped up in this business everybody's saying the things about baptism how that you got to be baptized in this name and you got to do this and you got to do that and it was Apollos that was people were baptized. He said, I'm telling you, he said, I'm glad I got caught in none of that joke. He said, Christ didn't even to come to have me to baptize. He came to have me to come to preach the gospel. And he said, lest the cross of Christ be made none effect. He said, my central theme, my main message is the cross of Jesus Christ. He died for your sins. He was planted in the ground. And on the third day, the stone was rolled back. He ascended to the heavenly father. He sets down at his right hand to be our heavenly intercessor and our high priest. Oh, stand to your feet and give him praise for victory in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Praise God. This is the gospel message. Woo! Oh, give him praise. Come on. I feel it in my spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let me say it again. A true disciple will not only heed the words of his master, but he also have the heart of his master. Look at Jesus' heart. What was his heart? Matthew 9, verse 36 through 38. But when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as a sheep having no shepherd. And then he saith to his disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few, few. Pray ye therefore that the Lord of the harvest will send laborers in his field. 
He seen the need and went immediately into prayer and began to intercede as a heavenly intercessor. Immediately he prayed over that harvest. What was the motivation of his prayer? His compassion, his heart for the lost. Jesus speaks this to his disciples. Notice he don't speak it to the Pharisees or the religious bunch, the scribes, the elders, the chief priests, but he's speaking this to his believer, to the disciples. And if there's one thing we know, that is the message of the gospel the, the messenger of the gospel must be saved and be filled with the Holy Spirit because this is the essential, because this is essential in winning others to the Lord. If we're going to win people to the Lord, then we got to be filled with the Holy Spirit because it was Jesus told us follows that he, that we should be witnesses unto him or martyrs even if necessary. That word witness means martyrs unto the ends of the earth in Acts 1 and 8 after the Spirit comes upon us. But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. If we are truly functioning as a church, if we are really, uh, if we really have the right to say that we are what we would call an organized church of Jesus Christ, then he's, the evidence will be that we're out being witnesses. He said, if you're going to be my disciple, you shall be witnesses unto me. Not going to think about it. You will be. If we're really a part of Jesus' church, we'll be a part of his mission. We'll be a part of his heart. Can I have an amen? And listen to this. Notice that he didn't just speak of us being a witness abroad, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth and Judea. But he also said you're going to be a, a witnesses at Jerusalem, which means at home. And you know what? Lots of people can show brass confidence and courage to witness abroad, away from their home, away from those that know them. And, but not so much when they're at home. Why? Because they say the number one reason is because they haven't lived uh, their life in front of them and the, they haven't lived their faith out and they don't have the testimony to actually be able to testify to the people that is close to them. There are people who wouldn't dare try to witness a neighbor to a close friend or to a coworker because they've worked so closely to them that people have read their lives and understand that they are really not the Christians that they say they are to be. So what we got to do is number one is we got to make sure that we live obedient lives of integrity and we have authentic faith and we are and that we are ready to win the lost and we have a, a impact on those around us because we are a living testimony. Can I have an amen? We must live a consistent Christian life before and around us so that those that can see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. We must love when others hate. We must speak faith when others speak doubt. We must speak blessing when others curse. We must be pure when everybody else is impure. Don't do what the crowds do because if you do, you might not like the end result. Don't go where they go. You might not like where they lead you. Don't get caught up in the rambles. Be different. Be a light. Be a witness. Be salt. Come out from among them and dare to be a shining testimony for Jesus Christ. We must remain trustworthy when others panic and be, we got to be honest and faithful and pure in all manner of life and conversation of life. Witnesses, it, it, witnessing isn't so much about what we do for the Lord, it's as much as it is of what the Lord does through us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Can I have an amen? I can't do nothing without him. So therefore, it ain't about what I can do for the Lord, it's about what he can do through me as I yield my vessel over to him. It's when I die daily and allow him to be the Lord of my life. It should be not only the desire of the, ch of the church body or Christ's body, the church, to win souls, but it should be our passion. We ought to carry the same burden that Jesus, the captain of our salvation, carried. 
His heart needs to be our heart. His compassion needs to be our compassion. His passion needs to be our passion. There's no task any greater or more rewarding than to lead others to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I tell you, there's nothing more rewarding. There's nothing more that will turn you on fire for the Lord is to you just sit down with somebody and they begin to yield to the process and you pray them through to salvation. There's nothing more beautiful than to see the transformation right before your eyes, to see somebody snatched out of darkness and brought into light, somebody snatched out of the claws of the enemy and cradled in the arms of Jesus. There's nothing more beautiful than that, that you were an instrument that literally saved somebody from an eternal damnation and an eternal punishment of hell. When I think of this word burden and I see how Jesus was burdened by the harvest and for the lost souls of humanity, he carried that burden wherever he went. I thought of our text about the, about the prophet Habakkuk's burden that he seen and how he viewed his world and the time that he lived. Verse 1 of our text starts out by saying, the burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. I preached a lot of sermons on this. I've got several on it. I'm going to go a little bit of a different twist than what I normally do. But Habakkuk's burden came from what he saw going on around him and the condition of his world. And shame if we don't look around and get burdened with what we see. But he looked and he asked, how long am I going to cry and pray? And how long am I going to agonize? And how long am I going to intercede and supplicate? And thou will not hear us, O God. This is his complaint. This is his request. This is what he prays in chapter 1. He was saying, God, I've been praying about this for some time, but you haven't done anything about it as of yet. How many of us have been praying and praying and praying for revival and the kind of revival that we're wanting where the glory of God falls and people just come flocking in by the hundreds and thousands? We've not yet seen that as of yet, but how many of us have been praying for that? A lot of us have, and we've not yet seen it. He said, I have prayed over the violence and the iniquity and the grievances in the land, he said said. He said, everywhere I look, I see spoiling and violence. They're all before me. And there are those that rise up strife and contention. He said, justice is falling in the streets. The lack, the law is slack and judgment, he said, never happens. He said, he goes on, he says, judgment is one-sided. He said, the wicked can pass about the righteous and wrong judgment proceedeth. He says, the wicked can get by with anything and everything, but the righteous is attacked and set up, ambushed and snared. He said, they twist the law and condemn the righteous by fabricating and twisting truth through false allegations and through manipulations. Doesn't that, ex doesn't that sound exactly where our world is today? Isn't that a picture of the condition of our world that we live in right now everything he just spoke is that not where we're at come on somebody violence and strife tension iniquity and the absence of justice has fallen in our streets in america Habakkuk's burden and his burden was more of what wasn't going on than what was going on Habakkuk is upset because there's no justice he's upset that judgment has not vanished he is also upset about it because it seems God isn't doing anything about it and the wicked seems to get by with anything and everything and Habakkuk's upset about it. He's mad. He's angry. I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. He's not upset about what's going on as much as what God's not doing about it. And he's saying all this violence and he's after God to do something to change it. Habakkuk had a burden, but, but it was of a carnal nature instead of that of a spiritual. And I never thought of it like this before. And the Lord really raked me over the coals. I had to adjust my attitude. I'm, I'm being honest, and maybe I'll tell you the, some of the things the Lord's made me repent of. 
But I want to tell you something. I have blinders on as well, and this message is not only to you. And when I point my finger at you, there's three pointing back at me. So I'm living this right along with you. But when I looked at Habakkuk's burden, I thought it was a good thing. This prophet looks out. He's a man of God. He's a prophet. He sees violent strife. He sees uh, that justice is, uh, is, not, uh, is not there, that there's not true justice in the court systems and how that the righteous is being persecuted, contention and strife and snares. and There's war going in the heavenlies against them. And he got burdened by that. And I thought, well, that was a good thing. But the problem was when I really began to look at the nature of his burden, I seen that it was not a godly burden. It was a fleshly burden and not a, that of a spiritual nature. And I'm afraid this is the kind of burden that has struck America and it has infiltrated even into the church. When we as Americans see what's going on in our country, it infuriates us. How many has been infuriated? Come on, be honest with me. I've been plumb infuriated with everything that's going on. And well, we should. This stuff should infuriate us. We're righteous people and sin are to get on our nerves. But when we see the kangaroo courts and the misguided interpretations of the law, when we see cover-ups and the lopsided investigations that's going on within our country, the people of faith are being set up, falsely accused, persecuted. But those that do hideous crimes walk away with evidence everywhere and they laugh within our face. Come on, they walk away snarling, ah, you'll never get me, I'm untouchable. Arrogancy, haughtiness. And you know what, I'm gonna be honest with you, this is my nature, well, I'll pop you right in the mouth. Am I the only one that feels that kind of feelings? But that's not of a godly nature. Uh-oh. We'll get into it a little bit more in a minute. We see hate groups burning down our cities without one arrest, while some, one family, an upright citizen, breaks one little bitty tiny law, and here comes the FBI at 3 o'clock in the morning with their guns drawn, going in and handcuffing them and pulling them out of their beds and scaring their children. What in the world is going on in our country? Amen? Due to this kind of stuff going on, we're seeing people becoming burdened and concerned about the country and the condition of our world that we're living in. There's not been so much fraction and division and separation in America than all the way back to the Civil War. This is, there is more hostility, hatred, resentment, strife, and, and, and tension, and just plain old rot gut anger in America than ever before. Can I have an amazing? There's no place anymore for us to talk or to compromise or reason or dialogue with each other. People can't even sit down and have a normal discussion or have an adult conversation together about their differences. We can't do it. Even religious people, Baptists and Pentecost, can no longer come together and have services together because there's such a division, there's such a gulf. If you're a Republican, you have no idea. Or you don't even have a chance to talk to a Democrat. And if you're a Democrat, you don't have any chance to talk to a Republican. The bridge has been wiped out. Come on, somebody. There's no dialogue and there's no talking. There's so much friction and tension and hatred. The nation has become ununified and is divided against itself. And the hatred between the two has caused an unhealthy, judgmental spirit to develop. Instead of the church being burdened for the sinner, we become angry at the sinner. I've been plumb angry. I, I'm going to be honest. I got so angry a few times. I threw a pillow at my television. 
infuriates me. The injustice. And yet somehow we want to justify our actions of having anger at the individual that's doing those things. Now hang on a minute. There's is so much resentment toward the church, but now you're seeing just as much resentment to the world from the church. The church has just as much anxiety and anger and bitterness and resentment and tension and stress than the world does. And yet Jesus tells us, peace I leave unto you. Not the world's peace I give unto you, but the peace I give unto you that your joy might be full and that it might remain. We're supposed to walk around with joy because the joy of the Lord is our strength. We're to walk around being happy. We're redeemed by grace. We are to show the world that no matter what comes, hell or high water, that there's a joy and there's a peace beyond the fractions and the persecution in the midst of it all. There is Jesus that shines forever in our hearts and he's our day star and he's our shield. He's our protection and his banner over us is love. Can I have an amen? Oh, Lord, help me right here. We're like Habakkuk. We're burdened and we've been praying over the harvest. And we feel justified by that. We feel religious by that. We feel sanctimonious by that. Oh, I pray five hours a day every day for the harvest. But are we praying like Jesus did? That's why I grit my heart. Habakkuk's prayer was more like this. Fix this. Do something about it. Correct them. Judge them. Discipline them. Remove them. Pop them on the head, God. Come on. Give them a good thorough thrashing, Lord. How many of us has kind of prayed those kind of prayers? Hello? I prayed them. I prayed out of anger. I prayed in resentment. And it was a stinking prayer before the nostrils of God when I did. Because that which is not of faith is sin. It's getting quiet in here, isn't it? You see, one of the things the Lord has been really speaking to me is, do not stoop to the level that they're on. Be different. Don't become like them. Have them to become like you. You be the catalyst. You be bigger than that. You be, you be the Christian adult that's able to handle the persecution and handle it right and handle it wisely. But look at Jesus' prayer during the same kind of an environment, hostile environment when they're beating him and whipping him and stoning him and doing everything in the world unjustly to him. And finally, they literally begin to put stripes upon his back. They nail him to a cross and this is what Jesus says. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Don't you know I could have called more than 12 legions and angels and come and he could have took me off the cross, but I chose not to do it. I went ahead and died in your place and in your stead because I wanted to see you saved. I had the ability to just, boom. He's the one that does have the ability. Just speak the word, boom, it's over, it's done, it's finished. You're, you're fried. Can I, thank God I'm not God because there'd be a lot of fried people. Can I have an amen? But in everything that Jesus went through, all of the hardship, the hostility, the tension, the stress, the lies, the false accusation, the spitting in his face, cursing to his face, tearing his clothes off and making him ashamed, naked, hanging on a cross. In all of that, Jesus' prayer was, oh, Father, 
forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Can I have an amen? Jesus' attention wasn't to make things better for himself, but whatever it took to make things better for the sinner, he wanted them saved. He wasn't there to argue, complain, fight, oppose, debate the sinner and beat them over the head with some kind of a gospel to prove who he was. He was there to love on them and preach the gospel of Jesus to them. And if we're not careful, we'll become so repulsed to the point due to the people's lifestyles that we will refuse certain people in the harvest. We will draw back due to a, a certain intense distaste. Is there certain things that you just can't handle? There's just certain sins. I just, I just, how do they get there? How do they do that? Amen. And you know, some of the things that's in the drug scene now, they tell me what all they mix, put together. Who in the world can even think up things like that? And how possibly are they brave enough to shoot it in their veins? Just blows my mind. I don't understand. I don't understand what would make a grown man want to have sex with an eight-year-old girl. I'm talking about stuff that, you know, come on. What would make a grown man want to beat on his wife every night until, she, until she's unconscious where she loses teeth and loses function to certain parts of her body because of the abuse? These are the kind of people we're talking about. Who in the world would go out and kidnap children and enslave them and put them in a sex trafficking across the nation just to make gains and money off of it? It's the kind of world that we live in. I can't understand that kind of stuff. Hallelujah. But if we're not careful, we'll draw back due to the certain intense distaste and will refuse to accept them or even offer them salvation due to their belief and their attitude or their politics even. If we're not careful, there'll be certain kinds of sin. We'll never be able to win that sinner because we'll avoid them, we'll walk around them, we'll ignore them. We're not even going to associate with that kind of a person. They're just too vile. Did you know Jesus come to die for them too? He come to die for Adolf Hitler. You know, one of the things that really gripped my heart this week is when I thought about Adolf Hitler's sin and I can sit there, man, he's such an evil man. And yet the Lord reminds me, just a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Just a little bitty sin makes everything sinful. That there is no such thing as little sin or big sin. Sin, the wages of its death. It's horrible. No matter what kind of sin it is, telling a white lie is just as bad. Going out and commit a murder may not have the same consequences in the rule of law, but it does in the rule of God's judgment. Can I have an amen? Are we understanding what the church commission's all about? If we're not careful, we'll fail to welcome someone to the faith and we'll have a certain attitude that will make them feel rejected or rebuffed. We will find ourselves rejecting them in an abrupt and an ungracious manner. There was one church where a certain person in their community had came into the church looking for salvation. He was such a vile creature that they literally purposely avoided him and they didn't want to make him feel welcome. None of them graciously invited him back or even told him that they were glad to have him there, hoping, hoping that he would never return back to their church. Because you know why? 
They were more worried about how the outside community viewed the church and they were more worried about their reputation and their image than they were about the call and the commitment to the harvest. Amen? And so much of the time, those people that are like that become some of the greatest testimonies that a church can ever have. And instead of being somebody that splits a church, if the church will give in to the Great Commission and love them unconditionally and win them over, they'll end up bringing revival to that church because of the kind of testimony that they have. Can I have how many will trust me to win the, the vilest people ever so that the palace of praise can have a testimony that we love Jesus enough to forgive anybody? Anybody? Amen? If we're not careful, we'll find ourselves rejecting them in an abrupt or ungracious manner and not even realize it. We will refuse to reject them on the basis of their behavior, their background. And one of the biggest things right now is we'll reject people on the basis of their political beliefs. Amen? We must make friendly advances to them and not have that spirit of hostility upon us that will make them have that thought, well, we think that we're more superior than they are. We are not here to fight the sinner. The sinner is not our enemy. The Lord gave me this, and you know, we're to hate the sin, but we're to love the sinner, folks. Amen? This is what the Lord gave me that I thought, man, that's profound, Lord. Thank you. And the Lord says, well, I'm just profound. Isn't he profound? He spoke to me in the middle of the night, and he said that you as a church, we almost, you almost go out into the harvest field in the 21st century looking at it as a battlefield instead of a harvest field. I thought, I didn't even think of that. Man, Lord, that's powerful. The church now is engaged in the battlefield instead of the harvest field. We look at it as a battle. Instead of going out and reaping and picking fruit, we want to pick a fight. We want to prove ourselves. Bless God, we're going to show you our standard. We're going to be like the Pharisees. We're going to have a nose as long as Pinocchio. We're going to be judgmental. We're going to be critical. We're going to be mean and harsh. We're going to have a standard. We're going to let you know all about it. We're going to let you know about our do's and our don'ts and our rules. Hello? We almost, we almost go out with the idea, let's battle, let's fight, let's overcome, let's win, let's pin these sinners. Let's pick them up and body slam them and get them down and make them tap out. That's the kind of the way that we think our witnesses should be. The other day, I was going to pin Jenny only for her to pick me up and swallow me around, slam me down, say, you had enough? No, that's not true. Anytime I try to pin her, she just cuts off the grub and the fight's over. <laughs> we are living in a decade when the church has lost it's real mission. It's real call. It's real heart. <laughs> Man, I feel burdened by this sermon. I don't know about you. This is convicting. Our enemy's not the sinner. Our enemy's not the sinner. It's the devil who holds them bound. Why is it that we want to fight the sinner, but we're having no time of fighting the principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, and spiritual wickedness over by interceding and supplicating in a prayer the way that Jesus would pray for them? Loving them unconditionally. I want to tell you, I had the hardest time the other night. We were on the porch praying and the Holy Spirit 
we were talking about some of the things that's going on in our world and when we got down to it, we, we, we were saying, you know, we need to pray for their salvation and you just say the right things just to be saying it, but in your heart, you really don't mean it. You know how I know? Because the Lord started having me to pray for Nancy Pelosi and he asked me to ask the Lord to bless her. What you laughing about? You get tested like that. And see if you are real and sincere in your prayer. Terry, I had to repent because I knew that the nature of Kent Miller was not in the nature of God at that moment. That God's thoughts towards Nancy was totally different than my thoughts toward her. She's a woman trapped. She's a woman blinded. She's a woman ensnared. Come on. She needs somebody to help her. She's drowning. Can I have an amen? Well, it's getting quiet. We're not there to lord over the sinner, but we're there to serve them, to love them, and to help them. What was Jesus' whole ministry? How that Jesus anointed Jesus Christ, how God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost, who went around doing good and healing all the people that were possessed of the devil or oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. But what was his ministry going around doing good? Acts of kindness and in love and generosity, healing, touching, ministering, feeding. Come on. That was Jesus' ministry. That was the way he warmed the multitudes and the crowds. We're not some dominant army going in, taking people captive by hard displays of spiritual action. Amen? We are a believer that goes in and gives a ray of hope and offers a rope to a drowning person. I said it last week, a drowning man don't need a sermon about how to swim. He needs a rope at that moment. Teach him later how to swim. Because if you preach too long, he's going to drown. We are there to lead them out, not drive them out. We're to lead them, not drive them like a bunch of cattle, like a bunch. Come on. Can I have an amen? We are there to convince, persuade, and present them the truth. Habakkuk was repulsed when what he saw he had a distaste for those around him due to what they did and how they lived. Look at all this tension, strife, contention, and hatred. Look at all this stealing and robbing and the, and the poor is, the, the poor is uh, uh, you know, run over and, and they're, they're, just, uh, they're, just, they're just brought to shame as a result of people exploiting them. And he was mad at it. He was angry at it. It make me mad. It makes me angry. And then God says, okay, I'm going to answer you. Habakkuk, I'm going to give you what you desire. I love this. Habakkuk chapter 5, or verse 5 of our text. Behold ye among the heathen, and regard, and wonder marvelously. Keep an eye on it. For I will work a work in your days which you will not believe, though it be told you. Now watch God. Here's what God's saying. Oh, how exciting. Oh, Habakkuk's heart's leaping. Whoa, hallelujah. God finally answers and says, don't worry about it. I've got it under control. And here's Habakkuk. Ah, oh, justice is about to come. Hallelujah. The ax is fixing to fall to the root of the tree. God says, I'm gonna do a work in your day and in your time that you will not even believe. And this isn't gonna happen in the future 
But it's going to happen in your lifetime, Habakkuk. With your very own eyes, you're going to see what's going to take place. And finally, the enemy is going to experience a crushing blow. And Habakkuk, the prophet, he's out in the field doing his Pentecost stuff. Can I have an amen? Ah, he's finally got his answer. He's prayed through and, woo, man, God's fixing to come down and do something great. The prayers for justice and punishment on the evildoers has finally come. Habakkuk is so excited. How many believe that God's going to do something in our day and we're going to see it with our own eyes? Do you believe that? Hello, palace, do you believe it? All right. Then God begins to unveil his plan to the prophet in chapters 1, verse 5 through 11. I didn't read them because of time. It's through these verses that God reveals that he's going to use the Chaldeans as swift and horrible instruments of judgment because of the wickedness of the nation. It is evident in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 13, that when them verses finally are spoken over to Habakkuk, the Habakkuk's not happy with God's decision the way that he's going to deal with the people. Isn't it odd you can't please people? I remember one time when I worked at Gates Rubber Company and we were trying to, you know, establish the church, get it off the ground, do everything right, count our cost. And everybody was telling me how I was sinning because I wasn't going full time and I was working a job and it wasn't faith and I'm, I'm not doing that church justice. And finally, when we got to the place I could go full time, I went full time and them very same people came to me, you're sinning, you're just robbing the church. All you want to do is mooch off their money. Can't please them. And that's kind of the way Habakkuk is right now. He's such a double-minded man after God. God says, well, I've heard you. Now I'm going to do what you want me to do. What you all upset about, Habakkuk? Listen to what Habakkuk 1.13. Habakkuk comes back and prays. Thou art purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than they. Now that's the King James Version. I'll put it in our language. Habakkuk's complaint was in the form of this question. He asked God, how can you use a whole, how can you as a holy God use these wicked heathen to waste and to destroy people that's more righteous than they are? He said, what do you mean? The Chaldeans are the most ruthless people on the face of the earth and you're going to have them judge these, our people, our nation who's more righteous? Well, I thought they wasn't righteous. All of a sudden his perspective changes. The prophet that cried for justice, the prophet that looked for judgment has now had a chance, a change of heart in the light of God's plan. He couldn't believe that God was going to use the Chaldeans as a tool of judgment to come upon the people. The Chaldeans were ruthless people that were barbaric in nature if you ever study the scripture and they were the worst of heathens. As a matter of fact, they were cruel and some of the most ungodly people that ever lived on the planet earth. Go look at what some of the things they done. They were noted for their torture and their cruel intentions for human suffering. They made devices and watched people suffer and laughed and enjoyed it and kept it there for years. The prophet now says to God as he views his nation in the light of God's plan, he says in Habakkuk 3 and 2, Oh, Lord, I've heard your speech. I hear what you're going to do. In other words, Habakkuk heard the words of what God was up to and what he was going to do. And then the next thing he says is, And I'm afraid. I don't like this. This wasn't what I was counting on. And yet God was in the heavens saying, what's what you prayed for? It's what you asked me for. Beware what you ask. I hear all people all the time, I'm asking them to save my son no matter what it costs. Be careful. Can I pastor a little while here? 
When they see the full plan of God's chastisement and correction by the ruthless Chaldeans, he became afraid. He then begins to change the type of prayer that he prays. And then in chapter 3, verse 1, we see there's been a total transformation in the life of the prophet and the eyes of what God was going to do as a result of his prayer. Listen to what he prays. O Lord, revive thy works in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known in wrath, remember mercy. In other words, Habakkuk understood what judgment would do to the nation and when it done that to the nation, how that the righteous was going to suffer right along with it. Be careful how you pray over America. You're living in America. Habakkuk couldn't see the possibilities of restoration, forgiveness, and revival until he got a reality of what judgment would be like. And all of a sudden, he had a change of mind. Habakkuk's plea his cry, his burden, his intercession became, revive us again in the midst of the years. Revive us. He's not asking for judgment. He's not asking for swift justice. He's not asking God come down and hit him over the head. He's no longer angry. He's no longer resentful. Come on. He's, all the distaste of what's been in his mouth and in his crawl is gone. Now, oh, God, Revivals, and instead of giving wrath, oh, remember mercy. Don't judge us, don't fix us, he says. Don't give us justice. Just send an old revival to us. Oh, God, I don't want to be fixed. I don't, I don't want judgment. I don't want justice. It's okay. Let them do what they want to do. Just give us revival. It's what David asked in Psalms 85 and 6 when he prayed the right kind of prayer. Will thou not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Revival, God, will make us rejoice. Do we really believe it's God's will for all men to be saved? Do we really believe that God can save to the uttermost? Do you, how many believe God can save anybody? Really? You really believe that? Then why is it most of the time we have the attitude, I'll avoid that person, he's an impossibility? Look at his life. He's so far deep and steeped in it. There's no hope of him ever coming out. Amen. Do we really believe that God can still do the impossible? There's nothing impossible to them that believe. Do we really believe that God wants and desires to revive his people? Then why are we sitting around praying the kind of prayers that we're praying? Why can't we believe God to do something good on our behalf? God said, I will withhold no good thing to them that walk uprightly. God said, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. Come on, somebody. Do you believe that? Then why are we praying for God to zap them, beat them, hit them, remove them, crush them? Amen? If God has brought his people out from hopeless situations and periods of spiritual darkness throughout the years, all the way through the Old Testament to the new 6,000-some years, can he not do it again? Yes, but we have to be a people that go out and win the harvest with open and pure minds and know that salvation is for all people. We have to open our arms, embrace a wounded, sinful, hurting, arrogant, mean-spirited people and love on them. Show them the love of God. There's only two ways that God deals with people. He deals with them with the severity of God when he has a belly full or the goodness of God. I choose for America the goodness of God, not the severity of God. I don't want the severity of God to come to our nation. Amen. Romans 2 and 4 says, Why despises thou his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance? 
that God wants to win us over by blessing us, not, not judging us. Come on. God wants to do good on your behalf. Every good gift, every perfect gift coming from above and coming down from the Father lights, where there's neither variableness nor shallow of turning. Even on the wicked, he wants to do good things in front of them to show them his goodness and say, oh, taste and see that I'm good. I'm not mean. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not here to beat you up and criticize you. Sometimes the way we even preach the message to certain people, we browbeat where they're at to the point that we bring up such an offense in the wall. We'll never, we'll never win them because we're never showing them no loving kindness and generosity. We're repulsive to them as much as they're repulsive to us. They're as repulsive as Zach Bogus is. That's supposed to be a joke, guys. Amen. I got one laugh. Thank God for a sister under the anointing over there somewhere. The more we witness and the more that we get saved, the less judgment that people have to have in order to get their attention. So the perimeters of judgment set by us. I'm going to close with this. This is what the Holy Spirit spoke to me. Do you not know? Do you not know that I want to pour out goodness over this land? Do you not know I want to put up, pour out mercy over this land? Do you not know I want to pour out grace, grace, marvelous grace over this country? He said, why ain't God doing it? He's waiting on you to do it. You're his body. We're always saying, where are you, Lord? He's just waiting on you. And here's the problem. If we let down and not do it through the goodness of God as a functioning body, God will get America's attention through the severity of God but judgment. So whether we have judgment or whether we have the goodness of God in the land is going to be determined by what a body does, the church. And I'm here to tell you that God is really wanting this body to get active. Get to sharing your faith. If you have blown your testimony in your life with a friend or a dear neighbor, don't instead of saying, well, I got to do it somewhere else because they won't hear me. Go to them and say, you know what? I've made a lot of mistakes in my life and I've been immature in my Christian walk in a lot of ways and I, I apologize that I have made some bumbles in front of you, but I want to tell you my heart's been touched. And all I know is if God can forgive me, he really wants to forgive you as well. And I want you to come into the family of God with me with all your hangups. I've had them. Been a living testimony, I've had them. But God still loved me anyway, and God still loves you. Will you not come along and walk this walk with me? Wouldn't that be the right approach? I'm here to tell you, God's really wanting to set the captives free. Jesus came for that very purpose, folks. There is no other purpose. There's no greater mission there's no greater call. There's no greater demand. There's nothing that we can do that will outshine the testimony of us winning souls for Jesus. That is the highlight. Every week we ought to be able to come up here and just have people that's been saved that week stand up and then just rejoice over them because the angels of the Lord rejoice over one sinner that repents. Heaven celebrates. Would you stand with me, please? God just wants you to start going out and doing good for people, loving on them, caring for them, speaking kind to them, 
don't be angry. I've had to repent. And I still catch myself, folks. This stuff's real when they're doing it against you. And yet Jesus says, well, when they do, turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile. Forgive. How many times? Seventy times seven. And you know what? Everybody says, well, I've lost count. I'm somewhere. You don't keep count if you're really a forgiver. It ain't about 70 times seven. He's just saying, hey, guys, be a forgiver. Hey, man. I love you here today. I love this body. I love the world that God has created and all the people therein. And I'm asking you, start praying over the harvest. You're going to make some blunders. You're going to make mistakes in the harvest. That's okay. Next week, we're going to deal with some things that maybe be humorous in one way, but really serious in another. But don't have the burden of Habakkuk. There's too many Christians with heavy hearts, fractions, tensions that create stress. And God don't want his body to be stressed out and full of anxiety and worry. Come on, that that ain't what we're to live under. God's banner over us is love, man. He's got our backs. He knows what we're going through. He'll not allow you to be tempted or tried more than you're able. There's just such a security. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. And yet, if we're not careful, we'll let the things of the world push us to where instead of us becoming spiritual and try to win them through the love of Jesus, we'll succumb to their level and we'll take on their spirit. We'll take on that bitterness, that anger, that resentment. Come on. We'll have tension. Oh, I can't stand that guy. Don't ever say as a Christian, I can't stand that guy. You're to love that man. Instead of going around him to not want to speak to him, go right up to him and just rub love all in his face. If he's a drunk, don't go there and try to condemn him of drunkenness or drink. Go up there and just give him love. That'll lead him up more than anything. He's ready for you to pick a fight. That's what he expects out of Christians nowadays. Christians are argumentative. They want to get in people's face and prove, this is why you're wrong. This is why you're wrong. Don't go in those areas. Go in there with the love of Jesus, doing good, healing, blessing, praying over them, hugging them, embracing them. Hello? It'll rub off on them, and eventually then you can get to their sin. They'll bring it up. You don't have to. I'm here to tell this body, God's after this region, and we're the reapers going to the harvest. Be all that God wants you to be. Love, and for heaven's sakes, if you've been wounded by the world, forgive them. Get rid of all the heavy junk that's on your heart. I've had to get rid of some of it. Even as a pastor, it's affecting me. You watch enough news and you watch enough injustices and you see some of the stuff that goes on, it infuriates you. It makes you mad as a human being, as flesh. It really, it really hits you hard. And I'm asking you to take on the nature of Jesus and say, Lord, help me to forgive. Help me to be long-suffering. Forgive them, Father for they know not what they do. In Jesus' name, go into the harvest, be real. Let's see, this year, 500 people saved before Christmas. 
Why can't we? We can have 500 people saved this year. If we'll do what, you got to be consistent. You got to stay after it. You can't just say, well, that was a good sermon. I'll go do it for a couple weeks. And then when the series is over, we never do any more. This has got to be a lifestyle. This is who we are. It's our burden. It's our passion. It's our call. It's our mandate. It's our assignment from Jesus. It's his command. Go in Jesus' name. I love you. And if there's anybody here today, before I close, and you're not saved, you're on my radar list. I want you to come. Quit fighting it. God's after you. You might as well surrender now because he ain't going to let up. And we're going to keep on loving you and your unlovableness. And we're going we're gonna to not just tolerate you. We're going to have true, sincere love and mercy on you. And if you need to be saved here today, I just want you to come up here and let us pray you through. And let's get this thing over with and let you become a part of the soul winning team of the Palace of Praise. Because you can have a testimony out of this world. Are you ready? With every eye closed and every head bowed, just for a moment. Is there anybody under the sound of my voice that need to be saved here today? We need to make an altar call if we want people, people saved. Is there anybody? Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you need to be saved. I see a few hands going up. Would you come? Today's your day. I'm not here to embarrass you. I'm here to set you free. I'm giving you a divine opportunity. Just walk the walk, and we'll be here waiting on you. Is there anyone? May the Lord bless this congregation. Hallelujah. Thank you for obedience. your palace of praise you're dismissed we'll see you tonight
just had another one coming to the kingdom. 